What's up, y'all? It's Zach with Living Corbett, and I'm really excited to share something with y'all, okay? Now, I shared this last week, but just in case you missed it last week, I'm going to share it again. Living Corporate has partnered with Accenture to feature some of their most experienced North American black and brown managing directors and share their journeys, okay? My hope is you check out this and you peep the links in the show notes to learn more about each of them, including our next guest, Michelle Gadsden-Williams. Michelle Gadsden-Williams is the managing director, inclusion and diversity lead for North America at Accenture. Previously, she was the co-founder and chief operating officer of Women's Empowerment Initiatives and Diverse Entertainment Investments based in New York City. Michelle Gaston-Williams has acquired a number of community service awards and accolades for her work as a diversity practitioner. More recently, she has been recognized as a 2015 Ebony Magazine Power 100 honoree. Over the span of her career, Gaston-Williams has been profiled in Black Enterprise Magazine, Diversity Inc., Diversity Executive, Ebony, Essence, Fortune, History Makers, Heart and Soul, Jet, New Vision. Listen, y'all. Y'all get it, right? Okay. I'm going to put the whole bio on the show notes. My point is, Michelle has it going on. She's killing it, okay? Beast. Straight up. Straight up! And you know what? Also, put one of those, ow, ow. Like, this is crazy. I'm just so, so impressed. Um, her other notable tributes include being named 2010 recipient of the Maya Way Award for Diversity Leadership by the incomparable Dr. Maya Angelou. Receiving the 2008 recipient of the Harvard Black Men's Forum Business Woman of the Year Award, accepting the Rainbow Push Coalition's Bridge Builder Award by the Honorable Reverend Jesse Lee Jackson, and being recognized with an honorary doctorate of human letters degree from Keene University for her outstanding personal and professional accomplishments in the field of diversity and inclusion. In 2013, Gaston Williams was appointed as the member of the Global Advisory Council on Gender Parity for the World Economic Forum in Davos, Switzerland. Y'all. Do y'all understand? Like, come on, give me the give me the air horns right here. Like, this is incredible. I am just impressed. I mean, look, man, I'm, I'm over here. We're grinding. Like, like, like. What more do you want from me? <laughs> <laughs> look. With that being said, the next thing you're gonna hear is my interview with Michelle Gaston Williams. Check it out. Michelle, welcome to the show. How are you doing? I am doing very well. How are you? Doing really well. Really excited to, to have you on the show. For those of us who don't know you, would you mind sharing a little bit about yourself? Sure. My name is Michelle Gadsden-Williams, and I am the Managing Director and Lead for Inclusion and Diversity in North America with Accenture and the author of the award-winning book, Climb. Come on now. Now... <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I, I love it from the jump. Uh, we talking about we talking about climate. We're gonna get there a little bit later in this conversation. Um, let's talk a little bit about the first thing you said about the fact that you're um, you're you're the North American lead for uh, IND, and and your title is IND and not DNI. Can we talk a little bit about why inclusion has been placed first? And this is a phenomenon that's been happening, I'd say, over the past few years, where a lot of organizations and diversity practitioners are starting to think of this notion of diversity as being um, not it being a, a standalone entity is no longer enough. That inclusion is extremely paramount um, as having a culture of inclusion. So diversity is the invitation to the party and inclusion is, is being asked to dance, as we say. Right. So in my view, IND is an essential component of everything that Accenture does and we aim to be the most inclusive organization in the world. 
And so we recognize that inclusion and diversity foster greater creativity and innovation. And uh, so that's one of the reasons why we've decided to uh, reverse it and have big I and big D. I love it. I love it. Um, you know, it is interesting because a piece from Take the Lead uh, where you were featured starts like this. It says, quote, when Michelle Gadsden Williams started working in human resources in 1990, the mission in her field was called affirmative action. Um, and that's really interesting, right? Because we, t- we talked a little bit before we started the show. We talked a little bit about your tenure, right? And the breadth and depth of your experience. And, yes. you know, and you still used, so it started in 1990. Despite it being almost 2020, there are still folks who believe IND efforts are some version of affirmative action. So, like, how do you, as an executive leader, navigate the fears and frustrations of those uh, who look at IND as a zero-sum game? You know, that's an interesting question. And I'm going to go back to uh, a, a piece of research that Accenture conducted a short time ago. <clears throat> and one of the things that we've, we've done earlier this year is to take a, a step back and think about, you know, what is this impact of IND in the workplace? And so we conducted a survey of about 18,000 employees of companies around the world, and we asked two very important questions, one of which was, how inclusive is your culture? The other was, how willing are you to innovate? And so while diversity factors very much into um, uh, and has a significant impact on the innovation mindset, um, a culture of equality is the is the multiplier. And that's what's really going to help companies maximize innovation. So when I started doing this work, Many years ago, and actually it was just before 1990, uh, yes, it was called affirmative action, and the strategy was really more about, so how many individuals of difference do you have? So it was basically a headcount exercise. Okay. It, it had nothing to do with culture. It had nothing to do with inclusion. It had nothing to do about what we're talking about today. So fast forward to current day, this notion of inclusion and diversity has evolved, And now many organizations are really starting to see the true power of what this work represents, that it's not just about counting heads. It's about making those heads count and ensuring that every single individual, regardless of their difference, has an opportunity to realize their potential, realize their ambition, have a seat at the table and to reach their their career aspiration, whatever that may be. That's a really powerful point because it's interesting. I've been having conversations with folks um, who talk about inclusion and I've asked individuals and leaders of organizations like, look, how do you actually define inclusion? And people say, well, making sure everybody feels included. And I was like, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's interesting. (laughs) And I'm like, I'm like, oh, okay. But, but what I think is um, paramount when we talk about inclusion is the fact that inclusion and from my perspective and I'm, this may sound maybe I'm framing it radically but there's some type of distribution of power right to individuals so that they actually have a true voice like I don't I don't see I don't see um, a voice at the table absent some level of authority or power and so when you talk about like career development and making sure that they're growing and that folks are progressing and things of that nature what I'm hearing what I'm hearing is and I'm not trying to put words in your mouth so you help me keep me honest what i'm hearing is is that part of that inclusion definition comes also comes with 
some level of if it's like promotion or positioning them, uh, positioning folks so that they can so their voice can actually be heard in ways that that makes sense. Right. It's not just about, um, you know, nodding and smiling, but making sure that they're actually empowered. That's exactly right. That we all if we're all sitting around a table that it's allowing individuals the place and the space to allow their perspective or their point of view to be voiced. So we all have a responsibility to ensure that that happens. Whether whether or not people recognize that or not, um, I believe that that's what true inclusion is all about. Ensuring that people who have a seat at that table, um, they they believe that they matter, that their perspectives and opinions and pers- and points of view that they matter. No, I, I love that. I love that, and like it's, it's so. <laughs> and I, I really do believe, and I recognize, I recognize your point in that where Accenture is um, in their in their journey, um, in their IND journey. But I would challenge that as I've ha- had multiple conversations with other leaders, HR practitioners, um, other folks who as- uh, ascribe themselves as IND leaders or DNI leaders. That that definition of inclusion, it always falls a little bit short to me. And maybe my bar is a little too high, but I'm like, okay, at what point are we actually empowering those these folks who have been historically disenfranchised and underrepresented in these spaces with actual power, like authority, so that they can actually, to your point, have the space um, and the and the breadth at the table to to speak and actually actualize something. Exactly. And I think to your point, um, organizations are just simply not seeing inclusion as the right thing to do anymore. It just makes all the, the, the sense in the world, especially when you're talking about um, creating a culture of equity and parity yeah. where every voice counts and all those kinds of things. This is the action that's behind all of that. Absolutely. Um, and, and speaking of action. Um, this year marks uh, the 50th anniversary of Pride, yes. and our workplaces are increasingly diverse. Um, and in that diversity, uh, trans individuals are working in the corporate space at larger numbers than ever before, along with black and brown professionals. And of course, interse- we can't ignore the reality of intersectionality that we have black and brown trans professionals also in the workplace. That's right. And so how do you see organizations shifting in the next decade to be more inclusive to, to trans individuals, particularly trans uh, women of color? I believe it, it all goes back to culture first. And for organizations to look at building cultures where every single individual feels included um, and where they can bring their whole selves to work, um, things like Um, the pride celebration we've had a week-long celebration here in new york which was amazing and i'm still recovering from all the celebrations that have taken yeah uh friends out there (laughs) exactly i I just think that it's it's really about focusing on the individual their needs and wants and desires and a lot of us um have very different lived experiences outside of the workplaces and a lot of societal burdens we bring those things into the workplace unfortunately and so when we talk about inclusion when we talk about intersectionality and all those things none of this works unless the culture is such that 
it encourages and fosters um, an environment where authenticity, where um, being your true authentic self in, in ways that um, invites others to be curious about your lived experience. Yeah. All this helps an individual to be a lot more innovative, productive. Um, they will, by nature, feel included. I just think that all of this um, resonates and all of this will ensure that you know individuals, um, they will feel truly valued for their differences and to be and, and feel free to be exactly who they are, that they're not just there to check a box and that they're empowered to contribute in many ways. So I, I just think that um, the underpin of all of this is around culture. It's around innovation mindset. It's about um, the appreciation of the differences that we all bring to the table and the understanding and awareness that we all uh, don't experience the world, our workplaces in the same way. And that's what intersectionality is all about. No, 100%. You're spot on, Michelle. It's interesting um, because you, what your point reminds me of, we just had a we had a conversation with um, with Tamara, um, the, the MD out of um, out of Austin. And oh, Tamara Fields, yes. That's right, Tamara Fields. Good yes. <laughs> yes. And we were talking to Tamara about um, the reality of emotional labor. Like there's a there's a level there's a level of emotional labor involved in just existing as a a non-white person in a majority white space, right? So, um, you know, you see something in the news, like because we were talking about seeing seeing whatever atrocity you want to choose from, like not and not to sound flippant or dismissive, um, but um, if you if you're looking at the border crisis or if you're looking at a police shooting or whatever the case may be, um, absorbing that type of content and then coming into a, a space. Um, that is uh, uniquely alien to you um, is can be exhausting. And, exactly. And, and 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 to your whole point around like culture, um, what I'm reading, and I'm not saying you're saying this. What I read that as is that um, that organizations will um, organizational culture will change as the majority allows it to change. Right. Meaning that if the majority of a space um, are um, are adaptive to a particular culture then um, the organization will shift but if there is collective pushback against whatever the initiative may be then things will will slow down right and i think we see that not just at the at a a macro level from at a a micro level and a working perspective but we just we also see it like we've seen in the history of america um, and so I'm, I think that really leads me to ask, like, when you think about when we talk about culture and culture shifting, what advice or what do you think that what are things that you've seen executives do, um, organ, organization, exe, organizational executives do to facilitate uh, cultural change for more inclusive workplaces? I think there are several things that leaders must do. Um, the first of which is they have to make IND, inclusion and diversity, uh, a priority. Uh, that there needs to be established diversity objectives and priorities, equal pay, uh, advancement goals, like all of that needs to be established um, in order to shift the culture, yeah. um, the desired state. The second thing I would say is um, making leaders accountable. 
um, holding individuals' feet to the fire, and we we have to track progress and 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 really um, have some tangible consequences. Where if a leader it does not is not on board, yeah, and there needs to be some sort of uh, 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 maybe it's not consequence, maybe that is a strong word, mm. um, but there needs to be some accountability. Okay, in terms of in, in, ensuring that um, diversity. Inclusion is priority number one if we are um, to create the, the 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 ideal culture that we're talking about here. Um, I, I also think um, encouraging risk taking and ensuring that employees know that they have the freedom to um, to experiment, to ideate, to innovate, um, and that's what helps us all learn. Uh, and grow as professionals. So I just think all, all of these things will will uh, will will help us get to that ideal state, and also create a, a culture. You talked about the freedom to fail. I think all of this helps hmm. uh, in that regard. No, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. Um, so you know, earlier this season, um, we had Chris Moreland. Chris Moreland is the uh, chief inclusion officer at Visigant. And he was on the show. He, he talked a bit about cover and the actions that um, non-majority uh, folks in the corporate space participate in to feel safe. Um, I think the concept of covering, I know that you're, you're fairly, if not um, deeply familiar with it, as it's been, um, it's a fairly established concept. You see it yeah. in a lot of white papers from McKinsey to Deloitte. I believe Accenture's even talked about the concept of covering within the, con- within the, um, the topic of D&I uh, or IND. Um, what are some of the key covering activities you believe non-majority members commit in the workplace? Let's see. Okay, so say that again. So what are some of the... Ah, what are some of the key um, covering activities? What are some of the key ways that you see black and brown folks covering themselves uh, in the workplace? Oh, um, I would say things like not being active or involved in workplace activities like employee resource groups and things that can be perceived as polarizing. Um, Sometimes um, people of color tend to opt out of things that might look, or at least from their perception, might look like um, it's nonsensical. So for example, I'm sure you're familiar with the the, the, the uh, employee resource groups or business resource groups, depending upon which company you work for. And I've had individuals not engaged because they're, they're like, I don't need to be a part of that. I, I would much rather spend my time being part of the majority mm. population. Yep. Yes. Um, so that's a form of covering. Um, I, I have, uh, have worked with Hispanic uh, colleagues who um, will change their name so that it's more... Anglo-Saxon sounding versus uh, Latino sounding. So, for example, I, I worked with a, uh, a gentleman by the name of Juan Guzman, and he changed his name to John Guzman because, in his view, it, it sounded less ethnic. That's a form of covering. Um, so, you know, I, the list can go on and on, but I, I just think that when people cover, I don't think it serves anyone well. Um, I don't believe in um, pretending, I don't believe in being something that you're not. Um, you are who you are. Be proud of who you are. We are all 
um, individuals that have a gift and talents to bring to the table, regardless of what your last name is, regardless if you're wearing natural hair, mm. regardless if you are, if if um, you have a thick accent and you're trying to get rid of that. I mean, I just think that um, the more in which these environments that we're working in are receptive and appreciative of the differences that we all bring the better off we all are and the more productive we will be no absolutely i love it i love it um and it's interesting too because i think so i was having a conversation with um i was having a conversation just about some some strategy pieces with a with a colleague and and we were talking about um how how do we determine um, how do you determine like the members of your um, your DNI space and the conversation was around well we got to make sure they actually go to events right they need to go to events um, and I was like and I was trying to explain to them I said look I would not boot people out of a group of a of an ERG or a whatever the whatever you call it right in your respective organization of an employee resource group I would not boot them out of something because they don't attend physically attend an event. I said some folks genuinely don't feel safe. Right. right? That's like, true. Like, and sometimes <laughs> you just have to meet people where they are. Right. right? Because everyone is not going to be on the IND train. Right. Uh, majority or not. So I, I just think sometimes you have to meet people where they are. Explain to them what the benefits are of, of being part of these. Uh, what I think are. Um, extremely beneficial um, uh, infrastructures in organizations. It's it's support systems. It's infrastructures. It's, um, you know, an informal network of individuals who look like you. um, And you can talk about things that are unique and specific to your lived experience. Right. So I I think the more in which we can educate um, the non-majority members who don't feel safe being a part of these um, these infrastructures, then they, um, you, we just need to continue to work on them. No, 100. But some people are not going to get on board. I mean, at the end of the day, everyone's not going to be on the IND train. No, 100%. And, like, I think the thing is, like, my <laughs> point is I've been to some – so even when I worked at Accenture, right, like, there were happy hours and things, and the events, the events were great, and, and people showed up and things like that, but I didn't always just – Maybe I had a long day. Maybe I felt like it was going to be something else I was going to have to kind of perform at. Maybe I I was just nervous. Who knows that whatever reason, that doesn't mean that I didn't want to be included in the group. It's just that that is not at that point in time something I felt like I had the emotional bandwidth to engage in. That doesn't mean that that doesn't mean that I might still not want to talk to somebody in that group or read whatever emails y'all send out. I just it's just hey, it's it's different. And I think I think it's that I think it's really considering that, um, especially when you have folks who are not black or brown or whatever that, like you know, de- depending on that um, that that diversity dimension, overseeing the group. Like sometimes there can just be some gaps because you just have genuine blind spots, right? Yeah. Um, and just understanding, like, hey, this is a different space, right? This is not like a you know this this is not a technology implementation where you're coming to learn about the project or coming to learn about. How this how this um, software this SAP implementation impacts your job. This is a space that's really meant to foster empathy, authenticity, authenticity, and trust. And that's a different, um, to me, a different level of measurement, right? And you can't just be so, you know, binary with it. 
Okay, so so let's do this. Now you already kind of you already kind of um, let let a little bit of the of the, the dip on the chip, um, <laughs> <laughs> but can we talk about your book, Climb? Um, yes. I'd, I'd love to hear about the inspiration behind it uh, and why it should be something that professionals of color, I mean, just really anybody, frankly, I should have on their reading list. Absolutely. So, um, the inspiration behind the book was. Um, I've always had the intention at some point in time in my career to write a book. And it wasn't until I was at Newark Airport in the United uh, Airlines Club Lounge and a young woman walked up to me and she said, are you Michelle Gadsden Williams? And I said, yes. And she said, we used to work together many years ago at Novartis. And I followed your career and all the wonderful things that you've done. And, you know, have you ever thought about writing a book like Charles Sandburg or um, uh, uh, Carly Fiorina or um, Carla Harris at Morgan Stanley? And I, I said, yes, but I, I just didn't have, have, have the time to do it. And she said, you know, you should really make the time to do it because you have an exceptional story to tell. So it wasn't until that young woman Um, gave me that nugget, that idea um, to really take the time to do it. It, That's when I really thought seriously about putting pen to paper and telling my story. And so the the act of climbing um, has been defined as the act of rising to ascend, to go upward with gradual or continuous progress. And it's a term that I've used to describe my career over the years as a woman, as a woman of color, and as a diversity practitioner. Um, And as you and I were talking about earlier, there are some individuals who have an easy go of it and can take the proverbial elevator up to the C-suite. And then others, not so much. They have to take the stairs with a backpack and no air conditioning. Um, (laughs) There's no smooth ride to the top for any of us. And so no matter how you ascend, there is a journey that we each experience, which you know, ebbs and flows and it twists and turns, but with every step, you get that much closer to achieving your highest aspiration, your North Star, whatever that might be. So my book, Climb, speaks volumes about my professional journey. Um, and one of the things that I'm extremely passionate about, um, and this hasn't changed over the years, is helping people of color to maximize their full potential in corporate America, no matter where they are, no matter what profession or industry they're in or wherever they're employed. I've used myself as the subject, the protagonist, to candidly describe my journey. And that would be the good, the bad, and the ugly, and everything else in between. And what what I wanted to do was to focus on tackling some of today's most pressing workplace issues that people of color typically run into. But more importantly, I wanted to offer some pragmatic solutions. So that's why I decided to write the book. Um, It's my version of Lean In through my lens, the lens of a woman of color. I love that. I'm so 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 you talk about some of the challenges. And again, I'm not asking you to give the the sauce away for free. Right. (laughs) (laughs) 
But when you talk about you talk about some of the some of the most common challenges that you're seeing, uh, you're seeing black and brown folks face in the workplace. Yeah. Like, can you can you give us an example of one of those challenges? Oh, sure. Um, you know, working twice, uh, being twice as smart, twice as good, but getting half as far. Um, you know, that that's the old adage that most of us, at least those of us of color, we've heard that growing up in our households. Absolutely. And it, it's, it's, you know, this is not, you know, just jargon Mm-mm. that we, we hear on television. It's our lived reality. And so, um, you know, the bar is simply at a higher level for those of us of color. And most of us know that. No, and you're, so you're most people. Yeah, exactly. And most people of color are over mentored and under sponsored. Hold on. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Whoa, 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 whoa. Say that again. Most people of color are over mentored and under sponsored. Look, we, we can have mentors. We can have mentors all day long. People to show us the lay of the land and how to navigate and all those things. We don't need that. We have a lot of that. We have plenty of that. We need individuals who are going to have a seat at the table, who are going to be our advocates and champions and um, our, um, you know, sports agents sitting at that table negotiating for us, putting our names uh, up for promotion uh, and for those stretch assignments where it counts. That's what we need. That is that is so true. I've never I've never heard it framed that way, but you're 100 percent right, because frankly, um, I do believe, and in my in my work experience, this has been the case, right? So this was the case when I was in Accenture. I mean, it was the case when I went uh, to Cap Gemini as well. Um, and as I've progressed on to my to my current firm, um, it there are black and brown folks around. There are minorities around me who who would show me how to do something, right, or give me the real from time to time. I was blessed with that. But what I didn't always have. And I had it more than others, so to be clear, because I, I have gotten promoted. So like I've, I've been able to progress in my career, but um, a few times, but is the, the people fighting for me, right? The people who are really advocating for me in the same way or just even in a percentage of the way that they may advocate for someone who doesn't look like me, who's doing half as much as I'm doing. Right. Yeah. Um, and that's that's just a really good point because you're because and it's so interesting because when I talk to when I talk to um, black and brown folks particularly black women the conversation often comes with a point of like look i'm working this hard and i'm doing i'm going above and beyond every day and the response when i when i'm doing all this work is well that's what you're supposed to do but then if someone who doesn't look like me is doing like half of that to your (laughs) to the point you talked about earlier that 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 the old adage which is based on history and reality um they do half of what i'm doing they're getting their praises sung from the highest rafters, right? Exactly. Exactly. And so I think most of us who have been working in corporate spaces and places, we, we just understand that there's just um, more scrutiny uh, on our performance. Uh, and a lot of this can lead to, um, you know, just lower performance, You know, um, our self-esteem goes down, you know, lower ratings, lower wages and and sometimes job loss because you're just unhappy. So I I just say all of this to say that, um, yeah, 
they, the bar is simply at a, at a at a different level for mostly women, but more over uh, more uh, people of color. And you know what? That you know, you're, so that last little that last little the point of distinction you made, and I, I, I promise I'm not trying to keep you forever. But it reminds me about the fact that you also in the book you talk about intersectionality, and I feel yes. like I feel like that that point you just made just now was kind of an example of that. Could you unpack why you why you broke that out and you said women, and you paused and you said, well, people of color, like what 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 was the what what caused that pause? Well, that was just in in my research for the book. Um, women and or people of color, we do have similar um, challenges, not quite the same. Um, and this intersectionality that we're talking about, and this is such a, 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 a topic that I have a lot of passion around. You know, I was just having a conversation with a majority female colleague of mine yesterday who just happens to be a peer. And she said to me, you know, Michelle, you know, we as women, we, we have the same challenges and we have the same barriers, don't you think? And I had to pause for a second and I looked at her and I can't play poker. So I probably gave her, <laughs> you know, are, are you crazy? Kind of, um, you know, as a woman, as a woman and as a woman of color, my lived experience is vastly different than yours. Oh, no doubt. It's and basically what I said to her is that, you know, when I stand in my driveway in Somerset County, New Jersey, that's not diverse at all. And one of the most affluent um uh, uh, counties in the state of New Jersey when I'm sitting in my driveway and I'm holding my neighbor's child who happens to be of the majority population and the, the FedEx guy uh, pulls up and wants to deliver a package to my home that he automatically assumes that I'm the help and that she owns the house hmm. uh, you know how often does that happen to you uh, hmm. colleague? how often <laughs> is it when I walk into an elevator uh, that the purse clutch yes. scenario happens yes and it happens to men of color too. Yes. So I, I could break it down for you in a lot of different ways, but <laughs> you know, my lived experience as a woman and as a woman of color, there's the double bind. Yeah. So it's 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 an interesting dichotomy, but it's real. It is an interesting dichotomy, uh, but it is real, absolutely. And that's why I gave the flex bomb because you drop in. Straight facts. Uh, <laughs> um, okay, so look, this has been a, a great conversation. I'm, I'm, I'm honored and just very excited about the fact that you're here and that you joined us today. Before we go, any parting words or shout outs? Oh, um, this has been a terrific conversation. So I, I thank you for inviting me to be a guest on your podcast. Um, any parting words? You know, one of the things that my father would say to my two sisters and I growing up is, you know, you are not here on this earth to take up space. You're here to make a difference and it's up to you to determine what that difference is. All that I've given you is the tools, the education, um, and the rest is up to you. So all I will say to your listeners is you have to figure out what your uh, passion is, what your purpose is, and determining how you plan to exert your power. You know, what are some of the kinds of things um, that give you fulfillment? You know, what feels natural to you? What qualities or attributes do you enjoy expressing to the world? And then just, just go for it. Anything is possible. Anything is. We just need uh, 
sponsors, mentors, and others, other allies who are going to help us to get to that next level. And if there's anyone out there who thinks that they can do it alone, I believe that they're sadly mistaken. That's absolutely right. Because if you think, if you really think that in this space, um, as a black or brown person, that you're going to navigate these historically white spaces. Oh, yeah. By yourself. Hey, I'm looking at you. I mean, we're working in institutions that weren't historically built for us. Absolutely. (laughs) So therefore, we have to be twice as good, twice as smart, Ivy League educate or whatever the case is. Oh, yeah. We know that we need to do all the extras in order to get to where we want to be. No, no doubt. And I was just going to say, because if you really think you can do it by yourself, I'm looking at you like. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Well, well, Michelle, I just want to thank you again. You know, typically, at some point in the, in the episode, we, we typically drop some Jamaican air horns. Typically, <laughs> because <laughs> um, out of thanks or out of exuberance, and I'm just going to say, uh, I'm going to drop these out of thankful exuberance right here. Because this has been a dope, dope episode. And I look forward to having you back. Thank you so much. Absolutely. I look forward to coming back and wishing you all the success in the world. Thank you. Peace. Peace. Living Corporate is a podcast by Living Corporate LLC. Our logo was designed by David Dawkins. Our theme music was produced by Ken Brown. Additional music production by Antoine Franklin for Musical Elevation. Post-production is handled by Jeremy Jackson. Got a topic suggestion? Email us at livingcorporatepodcast at gmail.com. You can find us online on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and living-corporate.com. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned.